Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 249 of the Peristyle Podcast. This week, we got a big show for you on the podcast, talking all about the USC's bowl matchup, going to the Sun Bowl, playing Georgia Tech out of the ACC. we got Dan Weber coming up a little bit later on in the show. We'll have Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment, both giving their thoughts on what's been going down. And it's been a not a quiet week uh, after the regular season of college football for USC. Some big news coming out there with Monty Kiffin and the bowl game. We'll get to all that. We're going to get to your questions, too, if you have any questions or comments. Our email address is podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can call 206-888-6755, or go to peristylepodcast.com, click on the left side of the page, and leave us a voicemail. We'll be happy to play those voicemails on the air, try to keep them short, 30 seconds to a minute or so, and we will do our best to play all of them. Uh, We said Coach Harvey Hyde is coming up in the first segment. We got him on the line right now. What's up, Coach? How you doing? Well, Ryan, a rainy weekend, but uh, a lot of football this past weekend. If you wanted to watch college football at its best, I thought it was really great, getting up and watching all the football games, the championship games, and, of course, on uh, Sunday, all the bowl matchups and the selections and who's going where and all the comments on who should have gone where and who shouldn't be in a bowl game and the BCS and all this and that, so... There's a lot of things to talk about and a lot of things to uh, discuss regarding USC football and uh, the college football world. All right. Well, we'll get into all of that. But before we do, I just wanted to thank our sponsor for the segment, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com. If you need tickets for anything, you want to go to USC's bowl game down in El Paso, they have tickets for that. You want to go to Laker game, Clipper game, anything in Southern California. If the Kings get started here at some point with the hockey season, you can do that. Uh, go to setickets.com or call 1-800-888-7287. And, Coach, yeah, there's been a lot of news. I guess we, we can start off with the the Sun Bowl. That's where people thought USC would end up. That's what ended up happening. You know, they're playing a 6-7 and seven Georgia Tech team. Uh, maybe get your initial thoughts on that game, the, the matchup, I mean, playing a triple option. It could be a, a really interesting one, I guess you could say, for USC. Yes, uh, Ryan, I'll tell you what. Uh, I would I, – I, you know, I respect Georgia Tech's program a lot because they do something different that SC really hasn't seen. They see a lot of this speed and stuff as far as the wildcat and the spread offense, but the triple option is a little bit different. And, you know, they're the fourth leading rushing football team in the country, 321 yards a game they average, I believe. And uh, I think it's going to be a difficult chore for USC. Uh, you know me, I'm always positive. In most cases, I talk honestly. But first of all, the Trojan football family is disappointed in the season as a whole. And it, it's very difficult to look forward to a bowl game. I would rather see them play in Ohio State or play them playing somebody where they could get fired up about as far as redemption. It's time to, to come back and start the season properly for the next year and 
it's sort of a race to memories and send Monty Kiffin out on a good tune and uh, the whole thing. But, you know, when you're going to play a team that's six and seven, uh, how do you get that excited? I mean, don't get me wrong. They're a good team, and they can beat anybody on any given day. Anybody can. But you got to get excited about going to a bowl game, first of all, and you got to get excited about your opponent. So I think the psychology part of this, as far as on the USC coaching staff, is not going to be easy with these players. I think, uh, you know, they're, they're going to watch them and, 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 and see them, and they're going to look at their record, and they're going to say, oh, this – these guys, I'm just assuming they are. But uh, I'll tell you, to stop the running game, something that SC hasn't been able to do that well, and then see something that's real option to, to it, uh, is going to be difficult. They don't throw the ball much at all. So I, I think it's something like, I think they played TCU a few years ago, and they ran up and down the field on USC. And I think that unless... They make some drastic changes and work on this. They don't have a lot of time. They're going to start on Wednesday practicing and, and, and spend a lot of time on defense. They could have a real lot of problems with this offense, but they don't see it every year. And I think also, you know, the offensive side of the football needs to get tuned up. they got to make a decision. Is Matt Barkley going to play in this football game or not? Or are they going to let Matt, uh, Max Wittick take all the turns and get better during this practice period, about 15 days of practice, and make it like a spring practice where he's the starter and they go into this as a new season or a start of a new season? And are they going to jeopardize Matt's shoulder in case he gets hit again? Or does Matt want to play to try to enhance his opportunity and prove himself as far as the NFL draft is concerned? So there's a lot of questions to be answered here during this period of time, along with also the recruiting process that's going on. Coach Kiffin, senior leaving, who's going to be the coordinator? Uh, are the recruits liking what's going on? So it's, it's a difficult situation right now for USC football. I think it's a very important game for them, but they certainly don't want to lose to a football team that's six and seven and uh, make, uh, what do you want to call it, make it even a worse situation than what it already is. Yeah, certainly, Coach. And, uh, I mean, there's a lot of good questions there. And I guess the the other news was that Monty Kiffin decided decided he was going to step down and uh, resign, look for something in the NFL. That was, I don't think it was unexpected, uh, the when when it happened and how it happened. Um, you know, I guess it was a little different. But I the the fact that he will be back for the bowl game, uh, I mean, I, I guess the the hardest part, and I'm, I'm sure we're going to Dan Weber loves to talk about this too. But seeing him try to account for a quarterback's not really been something that his base defense in the Tampa two has, has done all that well. Uh, is that something that if he's still running the defensive show, is that something that can change? I mean, can he call more? I mean, you're not really running a two deep safety defense, I guess. If if a team really never passes the ball, I, I guess there's reasons not to, to stay in that defense very much. I mean, what do you think? How would that go down, and, and what can he do, or what do you think he would do to, to try and combat Georgia Tech's offense? Well, the first thing I'd do, I'd get every film against every team that played them this year, which they will do, and I'd see how everybody played them. And I'd get some information, no matter who I am, I'm Monty Kiffin, I know Monty Kiffin does this, I'd call people who face this defense and say, what's the strength of it? How would you play it? This and that. We haven't faced this type of offense. And coaches help each other. Coaches uh, go back and forth all the time as far as uh, giving information out on and even sending training films to each other as far as 
walking through the different processes of the offense and defense and how you've got to play it. One thing you've got to be very be very careful careful too with this is you overplay the run, and then they hit you with the tight end or they hit you with a big play uh, off the play action pass it kills you. So it's a uh, you know Air Force uh, and these teams have equalized the Navy and these teams have equalized their opponents by doing something different that teams aren't used to seeing. And when you're not used to seeing this type of stuff, it's very difficult to prepare for. Now, fortunately, they don't have Georgia Tech in five days where they don't have a long period of time as far as preparing for it. They've got two weeks of practice where they can prepare for the option series and what they need to do and do a lot of study and and go through it. But the main thing you have to make sure of is you keep it simple. Guys know their assignments. Guys fly around in the football. They don't over-pursue. They play their areas. They take their responsibilities, and they don't get beat on something. And that's something that with the athletes that SC has, they have to learn to be able to play their position and their assignment and not get out of position and not be fooled or assume something's going to happen. Play the area you're responsible for and take that away. Because eventually, if you go down and, 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 and everybody takes away what they're supposed to take away, it becomes an outside play where the quarterback is going to toss the ball. It becomes a, a sweep, a play to the outside. But you've got to have somebody on everybody to make that happen. Now, me, I, you know, I haven't seen them enough to tell you how I would play them or what, I should, what you should do. But I tell you one thing, you better do some studying right now, and you better make sure you see it, and you better make sure you're teaching it starting tomorrow or the next day because it isn't something easy to learn, and you better run at full speed because Georgia Tech will do it well. They'll do it well, and they'll, they'll go into this game really fired up. They played in the Sun Bowl last year. They were beaten in overtime by Utah. I think it was 30-27, to 27, and they're going to be fired up playing USC. USC right now is not intimidating any football team. USC right now is a beatable football team, and teams look now look forward to playing USC. So because they've got such a rich tradition, that it's a star in their favor if they do play, not only play well with USC, but be USC. So this team's going to be excited about coming to the Sun Bowl, where they were a year ago. They're used to being in, in El Paso, which is not the greatest exciting town in the world. So when you arrive there as a USC football team, you've got to get yourself mentally prepared that this to you is like a Rose Bowl, because it's a bowl opportunity, and it's the starting of a new and an ending of an old. So it's got to be a one-game type of situation where everyone knows the importance of it. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it is interesting, Coach, and I think with – with the Monty Kiffin factor, that's going to make it even more interesting how the defense is handled. Do the other assistants get to give more responsibility? How does that work? But we, we've talked about, I mean, you don't, I know you don't like to talk about coaches getting fired or, or things like that. Well, now it's, it's official that Monty Kiffin won't be back. What were your thoughts when that, when that first happened? Like, what did you think about when Monty Kiffin announced that uh, he was going to, to resign? Oh, that didn't surprise me at all. Didn't surprise me at all, and I thought he'd be leaving immediately and going to Seattle, because I think that's where he'll end up. He's him and Pete Carroll are very close, and so on. I think he'll eventually end up in Seattle. I don't know if he'd be full time or not, but he'll be a consultant. Or Monty's life is football, so you're not going to take football out of Monty's life. 
So he's going to go somewhere. Money's not an issue with money. Money. So money will go and be a part of somebody's staff and be welcome. I mean, he's got great thought. He's, he knows the Tampa 2 defense. A lot of people run the Tampa 2 defense. So, you know, he'll be an addition to a lot of staffs. I thought he would be gone immediately, and I thought that the process would start as far as getting a new defensive coordinator so that the recruits understand who the defensive coordinator is going to be. That defensive coordinator has a chance to recruit these players so these players are not shocked. It gives them a longer period of time to be aware of who it's going to be. Or you make Orgeron or somebody on the defensive side, the interim defensive coordinator, until you decide what's going on. Maybe you go into the game coaching with one less coach. So uh, you, And then who knows what's going to happen with the staff on defense. You know, sometimes you're bringing a defensive coordinator and he comes in with the idea that I've got to have two or three of my own guys working with me that knows my system. I don't want to keep, teach my system to everybody on the defensive side of the football. I've got to, they've got to teach the players. So there's a lot of issues here on what's going to be going on on the defensive side of the football. But I think sometimes it's better if you let someone go to, to, to let them go, let them get into their new life, get, in, get on to the new program, get on to the new defense, See if there's a new enthusiasm on the side of the defensive side of the ball. And also in that period of time as a head football coach, I would want to look to see how these players accept the defensive coaches without Monty Kiffin. How do they react? Are they excited about the new defensive coaches? Or maybe there isn't a defensive coach over there who could be a coordinator. Maybe I need to bring in somebody. you got to evaluate your staff as much as you evaluate the players at all times. I've gone over this a hundred times. You're only as good as what surrounds you and how your trust is and the loyalty between each other. And you and the players feed off of this. The players know what's going on in the locker room or in the offices and so on. So there's a lot of things that uh, need to be set down and discussed. I told you this two weeks ago, I think, after the Notre Dame game, that on Monday morning they should have sat down and immediately evaluated their entire football program the entire football program, not just recruits, but I'm talking about practice times. I'm talking about uh, the rate, the strength uh, and conditioning program, every single thing, the study hall times, uh, uh, free time, uh, the whole thing around that football program, because right now it's at a point of where uh, it's, it's fluttering. It's on the bubble as far as I'm concerned. It needs to have a shot of adrenaline. It needs to have, as anybody says, it needs to have some planning, go into it and see, look at it and say, what was wrong with our football program? Was it us? Was it all of us? Was it just one or two things? What do we need to change to be able to make this the type of football program that everyone expects to have at USC? And that's not a 7-5 and five team. And, and that's especially when you're getting these one and two recruiting classes that makes it doubly hard for you uh, so uh, there's a lot that needs to go on there before next season especially before the bowl game too and deciding what you're going to do with your staff and your players all right coach well we have a few questions i wanted to get to too i know we had to talk about the bowl matchup and monty's retirement and all that uh, or, or, or resignation let's go to voicemail question first here you go good morning um ryan Philip and coaches, 
that appear on the program and Trojan fans throughout the world. I uh, usually make a statement when I call in, but I'd like to ask a question of the coaches and you too, Ryan. Um, I saw a lot of good coaches lose their job in the last day or so. They had far less talent than USC has. Yet these men are gone. One guy at Auburn won a championship a couple of years ago. So I would like to ask the coaches and you, what is it that you see or have seen in Lane Kiffin that make you think or any of the people out there in the uh, Trojan Nation think that Lane is going to come up with a solution to the Trojan's problem. Thank you. I'll wait to listen to your answer. Have a good day. Fight on, Trojans. Well, thank you very much for your question. Uh, I think that when you ask that question, it's a very general, and it's a difficult question to answer, especially when there's so much speculation on when you don't win, that it's hard. You know, you point out all the things, the distractions off the field, the the changing of numbers, the deflated footballs, the play calling on the big cards, and all of these different things. You start pointing your fingers at all of the things that you see and you hear about in the media practice. These things are distractions to the football program. I think that's one thing that you got to eliminate. I mean, those distractions that come along with you trying to win are just adding to the problems you have. You got to distract those things. I think that he's demonstrated. If you, if you ask me, I think Lane Kiffin's a, a good guy. I mean, I, I think he's in a very difficult situation now, and he was when he came to USC. When he came to USC, he came in with a lot of controversy. He left Tennessee with a lot of controversy. He came to USC with a lot of controversy, and then all the things that happened during that period of time with the sanctions and everything else that went on. So he's fought through some big issues. Eight and five the first year, well, that's acceptable. Ten and two was unbelievable. Unbelievable that second year. That I think that last year is what spoiled everyone because of the way the team finally got it together with all the criticism of the team last year and the way it finished the season, ten and two, and everybody expected that to be this year's team and the number one ranking. So when those things don't happen, the first thing you start to do is nitpick and you start to look at what's going wrong. Recruiting is something that has been a strength of Lane Kiffin and his staff. He's had two or three good recruiting years in a very difficult situation as far as people being negative towards them about the NCAA and blah, 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 and all the different things that go along with it. I think one thing that he needs to do is to give up a little bit of some of the offense and share more of that time that he gives up with the rest of the football program. I think this is something that's difficult for a young coach to learn. Because when you're a young coach and you're, what, 34, 35, 36 years old, you still haven't sown your oats. You still haven't called enough plays to, that satisfied you to finally say, I'm going to let somebody else do the play calling. If you watch the senior head coaches on the sidelines today, Nick Saban and these different coaches on the sideline, they're in complete control of the football game. You have Brian Kelly's, you have Chip Kelly's, you have these guys that still call a game, but they're still in control of the entire game, and they still have 
contact with all of the players on the entire team. Everybody gets praised and everybody gets ripped and everybody's still a part of the game. So I think that's one thing that I would say that he needs to work on as far as his strengths. His strengths are basically that that he's he's young, he's got a future, and he can recruit. Yeah, is he uh, the, the is he the messiah or the guy that's going to make it happen? Well, Pat Hayden thinks he is. So obviously, Pat Hayden has endorsed him. And when you get an endorsement from the athletic director, then no matter what we say, doesn't make any difference. But Pat Hayden has always uh, endorsed him in many different ways of calling him a genius as a play caller to endorsing him immediately after the UCLA loss. So he's going to be the head football coach at USC. Now the thing he's got to look at is whose advice does he use if he's not going to use his own judgment and understand there's things wrong with the football program. And I think this is something he needs to look at. Uh, is it himself? I said, you have to look at everything. you got to look at myself. The first thing I went and look at myself in the mirror and say, hey, I need some help or, hey, maybe I don't know everything I know and, and, and start to evaluate who I am and what I need to do as far as getting this program straightened away because the first way that today's new method is they give you a year to, if you make some coaching changes and then you have success, oh, that was a stop the bleeding type of thing. This year coming up is no stop the bleeding. People expect it to be a year. People expect you to compete. And if you repeat the same type of things that all the criticism is coming and you have the off-field controversies and so on, then I think that you're really uh, in trouble. Because right now the media is tough on Lane Kiffin, too. Media is, uh, you know, there's another team in town, UCLA. And uh, they're going to a bowl game, and and, uh, and, and it's going to be a highlighted bowl game down in, in San Diego. So, uh, and the Pac-12, hey, let me tell you, the Pac-12 is going to be a great conference. So it is a great conference. They have two teams in BCS Bowl games. There's only one other conference that has two teams in BCS Bowl games, and that's the Southeastern Conference. So uh, uh, that's uh, it's difficult for me to say uh, why he's the coach of the future, but I try to just go on both sides of it. Thank you very much for your question. Okay, um, let's go to Dr. Who. He says, it seems like we don't have a two-minute offense at all. It seems that Coach Lane Kiffin concentrates on calling a specific play rather than a sequence of plays to fit a specific situation. Could you explain the two-minute offense, how it's developed, and does the team practice it? And the team does practice. They do, you know, after their team stuff, Coach, they'll do two-minute offensive drills, I think seven-on-seven seven and, and full team. So it's not, it is something that they do practice, but it's not like they ignore it. But I agree with what he's saying. It doesn't look like there's a, a real sequence of plays that they put together to try to to work it in the two minute drill. No, and and I agree with you. Uh, you can't call a place in the sideline all the time on a two minute drill or do substitution, and you don't huddle up on a two minute drill. You you line up on the ball, and you already have pre calls that you've worked on during the week on what type of defensive front if they're in their prevent. You're going to do this. You're going to decide on how many yards you have to go, first of all, what, you, what you're looking for. Are you looking for a field goal position? Or are you looking for do you need seven points to win this game or to get into overtime? What do you need to do? That determines immediately 
uh, your philosophy is a short passing game. Let's run the short passing game. We've got two minutes. We can go the length of the field. Or do we need to make bigger plays and get down the field because we don't have as much time? What type of running plays can we run? Make sure our running plays at least go to the sideline so our backs can get out of bounds. You've got to stop the clock. You've got to be conscious the entire time that if you have an in- a completion pass, then immediately you line up on the ball and you spike the ball, no matter what, depending on how many timeouts you have, too, and where you are. So your quarterback is not going to be looking to you or you're not going to be substituting for the two-minute drill. You already know or you have hand signals immediately that tell him what to do. You don't flop receivers one side to the other side and do all these different types of motions, which I see SC doing, but that takes time off the clock. You've got to line up and you've got to be able to know exactly what you need, three points, seven points, whatever you need, and you've got to be able to know how far you have to go in a certain period of time, and you've got to use time management. You've got to know all of these things that are combined into a two-minute drill package. And uh, I agree. Uh, you haven't seen USC do that. You see them waste plays on long bombs where they try to hit big bombs. I think they did that against Arizona on a big bomb where they could have got down the field and kicked a field goal or scored a touchdown. You've got to use time management and know the number of minutes you have, timeouts you have, and you've got to line up on the field, and you've got to run around. You can't look like you're unorganized. And uh, at times, uh, SC looks unorganized in the two-minute drill, and their time management has been horrible. So uh, I think, uh, yes, I have to say that it needs a lot of improvement, needs a lot of work on it, and you can't be in control all the time. Offensively, it looks as though Lane wants to be in complete control. When you have a quarterback back that's played four years, he should now know what you need to do in a two-minute drill in preparing him game plan-wise against what defense he sees and what plays he calls and knows that the sideline is your players. The sideline belongs to you. It's clock management. The middle of the field, unless you have a first down, is not your friend. So uh, I think that's the best way to explain it without taking a whole hour. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, we do have a couple more, and then we'll be done with with the whole hour. Uh, Brian and Irvine, it's an interesting one. He said, what are the main differences between the defensive schemes that Stanford and USC run? It seems like Stanford had such a sound defense that is capable of containing the dynamic spread offenses that are so prevalent in the Pac-12. Would it be difficult for USC to run a system similar to the one that Stanford runs? I would imagine their athletes on defense are at least as good as the ones Stanford has. Interesting question. That's from Brian and Irvine. Well, I think the difference is, when you look at I think different Stanford's athletes are tougher. I think that, uh, I mean, they believe in their schemes, they're intelligent, they're tough guys. If you look at them, they're all clones of each other. Uh, They get excited when they play the game. They don't have to jump up and down. They know what they have to do. They line up. They strike a blow. They love making big plays. They play their assignment. I think playing your assignment is what defense is all about. You know, they don't miss tackles. If you watch them, they open. They their open field tackling is absolutely fantastic. They're very physical. They play on your side of the line of scrimmage. They rush the passer well. They mix it up with their defensive stunts and blitzes. They never make you feel comfortable. Uh, and and they they pound you. They pound you, pound you, and pound you. 
they wear you down, and eventually you surrender. Offensively, uh, Stanford's the same way. They have the offense and defensive lines are exactly the same. They're physical. They pound you. They come at you. They have more than one blocking scheme. They pull guards. They double team. They do all kinds of traps. They do different type of things. They run bootleg. They keep you off balance on defense because they're very physical. Uh, Stephon Taylor is, you know, a great back, but what's made him a great back? Their offense. They feature him in what they do, and he believes in it, and he finds the holes and follows his guards and makes the big play. And if somebody misses a tackle like they did at FC, he gets a big play out of it. So the number one thing they do is they're physical, they tackle well, and they play their assignments. FC has a lot of breakdowns on their defensive side of the football as far as assignment-wise. Their coverages are not good at all. They break down in the secondary. And uh, I think that they've got some players over there that uh, aren't the type of player or live up to what people expected them to be. They have some mistakes. All right, Coach, we've got one last one. I wanted to save this international question. Uh, It's Dmitry from Kiev, Ukraine. He said, in uh, 2001, USC was able to jump to a substantial lead in all of two of the games. Arizona State and Stanford, both of which they lost. They end up 10-2. 2012, those big leads were less common and only six only six games, and one of them ended up being a loss to Arizona. And three of those five losses, USC never even led in the game. So his questions are, is playing with the lead what made the difference between this defense looking much better in 2011 than 2012? And Lane's offense has zero wins after trailing and halftime, is it possible that his play calling is influenced by losing on the scoreboard even when it's early in the game? Well, I, that's a tough question to answer. It's tough, yeah, but I, I thought it was it's interesting. Tough, you know? yeah. It's a tough question to answer, but I think a lot of it comes to confidence. Confidence in your football team on both sides of the football that you're going to win this game. There's a lot of doubts now if they're going to win football games. They don't have the same attitude that hey we're down by seven or eight take alabama this past weekend was there any doubt in their mind they're still running a football game when they're down by 11 points they weren't going to get away with god which what got them there they kept running the football lacy and the other back kept pounding away at them and finally they found a way to win not that georgia didn't have a great team and come back and almost beat them but georgia they didn't change their philosophy either You've got to be able to believe in your philosophy and utilize it. You can't jump around to different things. It's not how many plays you have. It's how you execute your plays and how you believe it and how it, they do this, I do that. If they do that, I do this. And I think that's one thing that you don't out-trick people and you don't outsmart people. You, do, you utilize your personnel in a matter where you can be successful. I think that SC has not put their players in a position sometimes to be successful. I mean, we've talked about a lot of things this year. I mean, routes, we've talked about running the football. Do they believe in it? We've talked about their offensive line as far as not being physical, getting back, knocked back in the offensive backfield and, and players uh, shooting gaps on them. And, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. If you watch the quarterback sneaks that shouldn't have been called, I mean, Holmes and those guys got driven back two yards on the quarterback sneak, which shouldn't have been called. Don't get me wrong. There's so many weaknesses to the defense that they were running, and you knew they were going to run it. So why would you run that damn thing? So uh, I think that 
the scores of a game make a difference, but I think it has to come with your confidence in yourself and how you start the second half. Your defense loses confidence when they have to play hard the whole time and they're on the field and your offense is not production productive when they have to go back on the field, the same way with the defense and vice versa. SC never played a complete football game this entire year. They played a couple of games well, then one half or the other, but then the other half was not very good or whatever. They just did not play together. They did not play together. They had holes in their offense. They had holes in their defense. They lost confidence in themselves. And when you lose confidence in yourselves and you're not playing well, all you do is encourage your opponent. Your opponent gets fired up and says, we're going to beat these guys. And that's what happens. They play harder and they see that it can happen. Same thing with the Arizona game or some of these games they lost. And, uh, and, and this is what you don't encourage a team that you should beat. If you encourage that team, that team builds up its confidence and ends up beating you. You've got to have the, what you call the killer instinct. You've got to put teams away. You can't play not to lose. You've got to pay, play to win. And uh, you've got to be very aggressive. And I'm not quite sure if I answered this question properly, but that's where I'm going to answer it this morning. All right, Coach. Well, really, I appreciate you coming on the program and sharing all your insights. There's a lot of news, and I'm sure there will be even more news <laughs> over the next couple weeks of what's going on. But we'll be able to talk about this matchup with Georgia Tech even a little bit more going forward but thanks again for coming on the show coach really appreciate it thank you very much and for all of you out there happy holiday seasons and we'll talk to you soon all right happy holidays to you too coach and everyone else back in 30 seconds we're going to talk to uscfootball.com beat writer dan weber meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle podcast tickets 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 sc tickets is your concert sports and theater ticket source We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. As promised, we have Dan Weber, uscfootball.com, beat writer, joining the show. A lot has happened, even though no no games since last week. A lot's been going on. Dan, how are you? Pretty good. And you're right. I uh, There's uh, USC highlights everywhere you look uh, when they show you... <laughs> How great Notre Dame is! They show you the USC game, and they show you how great uh, Stanford and UCLA are in the Pac-12 showdown Friday night. They always show Stanford and UCLA highlights against USC. So uh, <laughs> USC was everywhere last weekend <clears throat> in the highlights. Certainly, yeah, not for the the right reasons, but uh, or at least for, you know from USC fans' point of view. Um, well, I, you know, some big news has happened since um, the last time we got to talk on the air, and we, I guess we'll go with the the big news that USC will be going to El Paso, Texas, on December 31st to play in the Hyundai Sun Bowl against six and seven Georgia Tech. Uh, it's going to be at 11 o'clock Pacific time. It'll be noon local time there on CBS. Only one of two bowl games that will be on CBS. Everything else is on. 
ESPN, everyone thought that this was going to be where USC ended up. Georgia Tech did the waiver deal, and, and they're, they can play in a bowl game even though they're 6-7, and seven, and one of their wins is against a team called Presbyterian. But, yeah, what, what did you think about how all that went down? Yeah, uh, we, we had hopes, you know, that, okay, maybe the uh, maybe the holiday bowl, maybe U, uh, UCLA will go to the Alamo Bowl, and maybe the holiday bowl choose uh, the local USC and, and for the first time, and they'll get to go to San Diego and play, uh, you know, somebody like uh, Baylor. And that was, uh, I think, the one hope people had. And then I think people also thought, but maybe uh, they'll get to go to, even though it's a, a slightly lower bowl, they get to go to Las Vegas and play Boise State and, you know, not not a bad deal going to Las Vegas and playing Boise State. So that's a pretty good deal. Well, as with everything else this year, yes, he got what it got. You know, it got uh, probably not a, a very attractive day to play the game on a, you know, nobody, I, I'm not even sure why CBS still is able to hold on to the Sun Bowl, uh, you know, out of the 35 bowls and then only two aren't on ESPN. Never even been sure you know, why that happens, and as most of the people on the on USCfootball.com will know, that CBS is the voice of the SEC, so USC is going to get get a game on a network uh, that, uh, who, you know, depends on, uh, you know, boosting the SEC, so it's probably not ideal, and, and yet it gives USC a chance to get down to some basics and get this, you know, started going in the right direction. You know, they've got Lane said, thirteen to fifteen practices, and uh, one of the you know, obvious problems this year is they haven't gotten practice right. Well, you know this is the time maybe they can focus on getting practice right, and uh, forget about Georgia Tech and the triple option and you know El Paso and CBS and all the rest of it, and uh, you know look at here's where we are. We're here because we earned our way here. And that ought to make everybody involved with USC football really unhappy. And they ought to, you know, say this is a lesson to learn from. They're not going to give you, you know, what you think is your, you know, your due after two years of not having a bowl. Uh, you have to earn your way there. And USC did earn its way to El Paso. And uh, what are you going to do about it? You're going to start uh, changing things. You're going to start improving from, uh, you know, what got you those five losses? I mean, one of the real negatives about this season is as the uh, competition got better the second half of the season, unlike a year ago, this team got worse. They had no answers. I mean, game to game to game, everybody knew the problems, and they didn't get solved. And um, that really, I think there is a connection. You know, last year the whole whole you know, theme was it's prep, not, not hype. Well, there's very little hype for this game, and the problem has been the prep. They haven't been, you know, properly prepped. Now, how that happened, how that disconnect from last year to this year has been such a, you know, such a disconnect uh, is, is the question. Do they understand, and do they get it right? And they're going to have a chance uh, starting uh, Wednesday uh, to get the practices right, we'll see. Yeah, they, uh, it was, I thought it was interesting when you look at this from an outsider's point of view. 
and we, you know, we've been talking about it every game, but we were on that conference call last night and a media member, I assume it was either from the El Paso area or, uh, from, you know, from the covers Georgia tech, just basically start off with like, Hey Lane, you guys were preseason number one. What happened? Uh-huh. You know, and, and Lane's like, is that a question? And you know, it was, and I, I know it's hard to kind of hear, um, right. but it was, it's basically what outsiders look like. Hey, what the heck happened? You guys were supposed to be good. And, and you guys obviously aren't that good. Right. And I thought, uh, it was probably the perfect start, you know, to the press conference. And then, uh, uh, I mean, there isn't a whole lot even anymore to talk about. It's just basically show us what you're going to do, you know? Yeah. Okay. Everybody knows turnovers and the defense. I mean, when you say things like the defense couldn't stop anybody, it's like, okay, well, are they going to try now? I mean, are you going to change that? Or, I mean, are, and this will be interesting to see. You almost need to see. Lane wasn't going to answer, you know, what exactly Monty's going to be there. What is Monty's role going to be? Uh, and yeah, what well, the heck are they going to do on third long, you know? Are they well, going to well, Dan, we, change that's, their that... approach to stopping third long? Yeah. Or is that going to happen when they bring a new guy in, you know, and if so, so, you know, do they get the course correction started now or do they wait till whenever, you know, somebody new comes in? Uh, I don't know. Are they going to let the three, uh, you know, so far returning, you know, defensive coaches uh, kind of take over the direction of the defense and make some changes now, some things that maybe get the players a little excited and, and, and upbeat about, uh, you know, we're going to get this figured out. Or are they going to go ahead and, and just approach it the way they approach the, you know, the rest of the season and, you know, losing $5 or last six? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I think that's why there is some real value, you know, to the preparation and, the, you know, what they do in terms of, uh, you know, getting ready for a Georgia Tech team. I think it. Yeah, I think in, in a way it's a good thing that Georgia Tech runs a triple option. It's going to force them to focus on, on tackling and proper angles and all the things that they don't do very well. It's going to force them to account for the quarterback, which, you know, USC's defense has pretty much ignored for the last uh, three years. And they just had no ability to account for the quarterback. Uh, now that you're facing the, you know, classic triple option, you have to account for the quarterback. I, I mean, good Lord, we were, you know, when, back in the day when, when, it, when the triple option was, every high school team was running the triple option, every high school team had, you know, their way of, of accounting for the quarterback. And then you see USC get into these games with all these great, young, active, athletic uh, freshmen, you know, quarterbacks, and nobody's responsible for the quarterback. And you think, What? How do you go into a game with Oregon or UCLA or or uh, uh, Arizona with a senior or uh, teams like that, and nobody's responsible for the quarterback, especially on third down? Uh, we'll see. Yeah, you, you just have to be going into this game. So whether that's a good thing or not, I mean, you just you, you gotta uh, you know figure out how you're going to do this, and, and and it can't be just sort of hit or miss. Well, you you mentioned I wanted to bring this up too that the, the what's going to be Monty Kiffin's role and Lane Kiffin talked about that. So the 
USC sent out a release that Monty Kiffin was uh, going to resign and he's going to pursue NFL options. Um, we, you know, it was asked to, to Lane Kiffin last night on the conference call, when are you going to replace him with a defensive coordinator or when are you going to hire a defensive coordinator? And he said he didn't know, uh, but it's assuming that he is going to hire someone from outside, but it, it, you know, Monty Kiffin will be there at the Sun Bowl. I mean, how do you, a lot of people think it's a year too late. What, how do you think, you know, that all went down and, and going forward, do you think it's a good thing? Well, I mean, I, I, I kind of believe, you know, all the, you know, the word that that Monty had, you know, that there really was a blow up after the Oregon game. That was beyond a disaster in terms of the game plan and then the way they carried it out. I mean, I don't think anybody involved with the program could believe that they attempted to play uh, Oregon the way they did. And it was such a disconnected, you know, disaster. After especially now you see how a team like Stanford chose to go completely opposite in the way they played. Uh, uh, Oregon and, and Stanford, not a team with any more uh, speed on defense, certainly not probably as much. And, and uh, they just chose to, you know, aggressively shut, you know, Oregon down and, and not stand around and wait and, re, and react, uh, you know, late and slowly. Uh, and uh, I got to think that, that what we heard that that, that was at, at that time that Monty had, told them, you know, I, I need to resign. I mean, just if for no other reason, just to protect Lane. Uh, and we heard that, you know, that that didn't go through, that they decided just wait till after the year. Uh, and then it didn't happen immediately. And so then you're thinking, well, what's going on here? Uh, so it seemed like it happened uh, kind of at a surprising point, maybe, uh, after they were already out recruiting, and uh, you know, there were probably people who thought, well, it's not going to happen until after signing day. Uh, so I don't think we have a good feel on exactly why it happened when it did. I mean, does Monty have, you know, an NFL opportunity that, that he wanted to make clear uh, he wanted to follow up on? You know, that's, that would be surprising, but, uh, you know, that's what, that's what he's saying. Is he going to be in charge, you know, uh, the next, you know, is he going to put the game plan together? Uh, you know, I mean, let's face it, you could coach in the NFL for 100 years and never see a triple option team. So now they're, you know, who puts the game plan together, you know, for a triple option team? Uh, and so uh, I think we'll, we'll see a little bit out on the, you know, on the practice field, whether we'll, we'll know exactly who's in charge and, you know, do you give expanded roles to, uh, you know, the two new coaches along with Coach Orgeron? And I think, you know, when, when Coach Barry was here, there was kind of a shared responsibility, especially, I mean, they really didn't have, uh, you know, Willie Mac Garza. So I think a lot of what you were seeing last year was uh, Joe Barry and, and, and Coach Orgeron kind of, you know, it was just a, a shared sort of a, you know, responsibility, and I didn't see that as much this year with the new coaches, uh, which might be normal when, you you know, you got first-year guys and all that. But this would be a good chance, I think, to expand the roles of Marvin Sanders and, and Scotty Hazleton, and I've kind of been pushing for that to, to give them a chance to help. Uh, you know, both of them are former defensive coordinators themselves, so and both of them, you know, 
Scotty Hazelton had great success last year, you know, a national champion, you know, North Dakota State team, and and uh, Marvin Sanders, you know, was defensive coordinator at North Carolina. Also, uh, he was, a, you know, like associate head coach and defensive coordinator at a uh, new, uh, you know, uh, uh, Division One program, uh, Florida Atlantic, uh, for a couple of months last year before he came to USC after after his Nebraska time. So. Uh, that would be my goal to see us, you know, those guys get expanded roles and get more, you know, an ability to, you know, run the defense and make the calls and maybe more of a kind of a shared responsibility on defense. But we surely don't know how that's going to go until we see it. Uh, all right. Well, we got a few questions. We're going to jump in and get some of these. Uh, here's the first one. It's a voicemail question for you, Dan. Here you go. Hi, this is John from Michigan. I'm just uh, calling in with a question for Dan Weber. I've read and heard numerous times this year that the way in which USC practiced, the lack of physicality, was the biggest issue with the Sears team. My question is, didn't they practice in the same fashion last year and still finish 10-2? and two? If not, what are the major differences? Thanks, and fight on. Well, I think last year they did not practice the same way. There wasn't the same fear of injury. Last year they were reacting to the year before when they had practiced uh, kind of uh, very cautiously. So, uh, it, and, and the physicality, I think a lot of people immediately assume that that's tackling in practice. But I think the physicality is more the uh, – uh, practicing at a high, more of a game speed, uh, a game tempo, uh, a game uh, under game kind of pressure. And I think because they didn't have to change as much from week to week, they were fairly uh, successful in doing what they did. They were able to run behind uh, Matt Khalil on the left side. They were able to, um, they didn't have to worry uh, in terms of all the things they did passing wise. Uh, they didn't have to keep the tight ends in. Uh, uh, they knew that Red Ellison, whatever they did with him as an H-back or a fullback or however they moved him around, he was going to give them that extra guy at the point of attack so that they could pretty much do what they did. And, and what they did, I think, was more focused week to week on refining and getting better and, and getting faster and all of those kinds of things this year because they haven't had, uh, you know, a left tackle that they could really say, okay, you know, we know Matt, Matt's going to be okay and uh, we can run, you know, and he can have a chance to look at uh, his first option, his second option, his third read, all of that. We can throw the ball to the tight ends. We don't have to keep him in. There's a much less what, – what you see them doing is uh, more wholesale changes from week to week, and, and they spend more time – on um, you know getting into the plays and getting the plays uh, you know lined up properly and all the other kind of stuff, and you don't see the same kind of you know game speed uh, physical refining of of, of of you know at practice where you where you see more of a it's more it's closer to a walkthrough I think to some extent and so. As the year went on, you just seemed to get a little slower and a little less physical and a little less time to do all the details and uh, to, to renew the tackling drills. Uh, you know, even if you're not going to tackle in scrimmage, 
oh, they would let him, the last week, they let him do 10 uh, thud stops to start practice, which means they do everything, but they don't leave their feet. They don't take the, uh, in the the scout team work, when they were going 11 on 11, they would have let them do that for 10 10 plays. Uh, So it, it wasn't so much just, okay, we're not doing any tackling at all in practice or whatever. It was just the emphasis both on, say, the offensive line, the defensive line, it just didn't seem to be the emphasis on full-speed physicality and technique and fundamentals and, and things like that. It was much more of a – It would have, if, if somebody just dropped in to see a practice, it would look much more like an NFL practice, probably uh, not like what you remember. Uh, you know, I, I know people hate to you know, make the comparison, but Pete's practices didn't look like that when they were really – going good they were you know they were full speed they were uh they were fun actually i think the kids really liked them but uh it it significantly changed this year and uh and not for the better and it didn't pick up all that much as the year you know as that didn't seem to be getting the the right results in terms of penalties and turnovers and all of that uh and and against better opposition they still didn't seem to have the ability to to write themselves uh, as much as probably they needed to in practice. Okay. Um, well, we have a couple other ones. This, this is a simple one uh, from David in the OC. He says, Dan, who's going to play center next year? That's a good question. I know we've heard, we've heard that uh, Marcus Martin maybe uh, was thinking about it. Uh, 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 John, you know, John, uh, I think both, you know, obviously uh, uh, Mark Abe, Abe Markowitz and, and John Martinez could play center tomorrow, much less uh, next year. And uh, there's a good chance I think Abe will get his sixth year of, uh, of uh, eligibility. I know they want him uh, to. So they come back with two centers who probably – They'd have been well, you know, if they could have used either one of them in the Stanford game, they win the Stanford game. So, actually, don't think I don't think center, you know, whether Hobby, uh, Cyrus Hobby really wants to be a center or not, I'm I'm not a hundred percent certain, and and I don't know how how they feel about him, but uh, but you've got you know you've got all of those guys, so uh, they're actually fairly well uh, positioned for center next year. I know some people. Just because you look at his body type, and Max Turk, you know, would be a uh, uh, heck of a nice, lean, uh, long, uh, aggressive, smart, you know, center as well. Uh, but whether you can afford that, uh, I don't know. But I, I wouldn't mind seeing him either. Uh, but I'm thinking he's got to stay. He got to stay at left tackle. But but I think centers are pretty good shape. So you're basically saying you need like five Max Turks and the offensive line would be a little bit better <laughs> if he can uh, center and in left tackle. Five Max Turks and one really good nutrition program, uh, I think, would be the way to go. Because uh, they say, I mean, everybody talks about him. You know, the first thing everybody no- noticed was they thought he was such a, you know, so aggressive in the weight room that he really, really, you know, worked it. So yeah, five Max Turks would be nice because I do think he could probably play. Uh, any one of the any one of the spots on the line, you know, on the line of scrimmage. Yep. Okay. Uh, here's an interesting kind of question observation here from uh, Mike. 
Uh, he's class of 2005. He says, if Coach Lane Kiffin was, was relieved of his duties as the head coach at USC's football team today, would any of the major college football programs with job openings, Arkansas, Auburn, Tennessee, Purdue, or even non-traditional powers like Cal, Colorado, BC, NC State, Buffalo, etc., hire him to be their next head coach? I would argue the answer to the above hypothetical, uh, hypothetical question would be no. That being said, why does USC have to settle on retaining a head coach that none of the above-mentioned programs would even consider to be their head coach? We are SC. Respectfully, Mike, uh, DDS, class of 2005. Mm. <laughs> Tough one. That's rough. Very interesting, Mike. Uh, you know, I mean, he. I mean, if you would say, okay, what is his resume? Uh, his resume is 10 and 2 last year. So also, and his resume is, you know, uh, saving uh, a, a top recruiting class and and you know, on the verge of another, you know, best in the nation recruiting class and that. So to say that, uh, you know, people wouldn't look at him. Uh, I mean, he, he probably, he has uh, certainly a negative national image, you know, and, and probably unwarrantedly so. I mean, he'd probably been unfairly treated in terms of how the national media looks at him. But uh, this, you know, this last year when, Basically, they didn't get it right at all. I mean, they didn't play a good game. I mean, they really did not. They did not play four quarters. They didn't get it right on offense and defense. Um, almost no one you could look at on this football team is a better player now than they were coming into this year. I mean, almost nobody. I mean, I, you know, Leonard Williams, we all knew, was just a terrific talent. Nelson Aguilar, the first moment we saw him in Ju- in uh, G- uh, July, I guess, uh, in the summer throwing, you said, whoa, he can do everything, this kid. So you could say, well, those two guys are doing pretty well as freshmen, but they were really good coming in here. And uh, uh, Max Turk uh, maybe uh, has gotten a chance to, to get better, but who's better? Uh, and that's a, that's a difficult issue i would think uh, the lack of progress uh on both sides of the ball and if you want to put special teams in there on all you know three phases of the game this team didn't get any better and uh, and that's a negative if you were looking at lane you would have to factor in uh, what happened this year why why was there no course correction possible uh why all the penalties why all the turnovers why uh, was the offense not able to establish any kind of, you know, rhythm where one play looked like it was leading to another play? Why would you have an offense that looked like uh, it's going in one direction pretty well, and then all of a sudden it goes in a completely different direction and gets shut down? Uh, why is this, you know, an offense that, you know, first and two against Notre Dame, as good as Notre Dame is, you know, in, in the, on the goal line, and it looked like it had no idea what it wanted to do in eight plays. You know, that that you know, and, and when you're the play caller, those are questions you have to ask. Uh, would he not get any shot at any of those programs? Recruiting alone, I mean, there are a lot of places would say, goodness gracious, the way he he recruits, you have to take a look at him. Oh so, yeah. I don't know that it's that, you know, completely uh, a shutdown. I mean, the hypothetical is interesting, 
it's the specific question, you know, it's the reality of the question, Lane Kiffin, is at USC. Is that, you know, is he the right coach? And is, is this the right thing for, for Lane to be doing? And uh, he's got some time here uh, to show that it is, uh, you know, getting ready for the bowl game and, uh, and holding this recruiting class together. And, you know, he's had some difficult things that, you know, has, has more attention been paid to, you know, dealing with the NCAA sanctions and all the other kinds of things. And maybe the thing that, that got lost a little bit in the, in the weeds was the, uh, you know, the ability to get it done on the field and, and figure out how to do it. It, it is a little worry, worrying that uh, a lot of the good things that, that, that Pete Carroll, you know, did in terms of preparation and staff work and all of that, uh, as he was building the program, you know, from 2001, uh, you know, through the 2018 or, or whatever, uh, seems to have gotten misplaced. Uh, and, and, and that doesn't seem to be the way, you know, USC does things. And, and some of those weren't just for, P, you know, Pete Carroll type things. Those were just basic. Uh, I mean, I still remember the first times I watched practice and thought, Wow, they're doing things differently. It's one of the reasons I think they didn't ever let other uh, college coaches come and watch practice. They were doing things. I mean, they let everybody else in the world, but not college coaches. And they were doing things differently in terms of the, the tempo and the pace and the pressure of practice and, and the way they practiced and how much they got done. And, uh, and Lane was there for all of that. And, and that seems to have gone by the wayside. There, that, these practices don't resemble those practices. This preparation doesn't represent those. And uh, uh, I think that's the challenge for Lane is to figure out how to get, you know, what's, what's the course correction that's needed here? How do you coach college kids and get them up to, uh, up to speed, uh, literally, uh, you know, for the college game? Uh, the college game has changed. Pac-12 is a whole lot better conference now. There are a whole heck of a lot more good coaches. And if you don't do something right, if you don't have, you know, have your act together in every way, if you can't defend third and long, they're going to kill whoever you play it. They're going to take advantage of that every single time. That wasn't the case 10 years ago. You didn't have the people and the players in the Pac-12 uh, week after week who could, who could take advantage of that. Now you do. You really do have to get the job done, and um, and we'll see. Uh, but uh, it's a good question, and hypothetically, uh, it's one you can argue about. A lot of people would would have fun arguing that question. Put yeah. it on the P. Yeah, put it on the P and see what people say. <laughs> yeah, we get all over the place. I do think some of those programs would hire Lane Kiffin, like, just like you said, yeah. uh, recruiting aspects alone. But do you? I mean, there is a lot of talk. There's, I mean. Lane Kiffin's not on Twitter all the time, but I think I'm sure he hears the rumblings. Fans aren't real happy. Do you think that affects a guy like like Lane Kiffin? That everyone was kind of on his side last year, and then this year he's he's not the most popular guy anymore. I think so. I, I was with a group of of USC guys, and one of them had a really uh, uh, a guy who actually is uh, a real inside USC guy, and he he had an observation about Lane. He said, you know. Lane really wants to look good. He likes people thinking this is the guy. He said, you know, if you just watch how he carries himself or how he dresses, or you know, just he likes to look good. And 
it's important to him to look good. And it's obvious now he knows he doesn't look good. And how do, how do people handle that? I mean, it, it looked like they got into what you might call a kind of a death spiral the last, you know, five or six weeks of the season. I mean, I know Lane, you know, even last night was talking about we were 6-1, and one, and if we, you know, get through Arizona, we're on our way to being we're on our way to being seven and one. And all we needed was that Arizona game and blah blah blah. Well, that team might have looked good in terms of that seven and one record. That didn't mean it was playing good or that they had, had you know had solved anything. But you know, will the motivation for for him to you know to come out of this looking like he really knows what he's doing and all of that? I mean, there's the the stubbornness aspect where, you know, you've got to be stubborn and you got to be kind of a tough guy and you got to believe what you believe. But then there's also the ability to say, you know, we're not getting it done. And a lot of it's me. And I've got to figure some things out here. And some of the stuff I thought I knew I didn't know. And uh, I'm going to get this right. And I think that's the, that's the big question. Does he have the ability to do that? And not so much just necessarily what other people think about him, but just looking at what they're doing and saying, are we doing the right thing here? And if we're even trying to do the right thing, are you? Are we doing it in the wrong way? Uh, can he ask himself those questions? And then can he come up with the right answers? I don't know. You don't want him doing things just because he thinks uh, that's, that's what people want him to do. You want him to do things because he believes this is the way to get better. And uh, I think that's the question to be answered is, do you really know? Uh, I mean, I always think when you would see all the really good basketball coaches, and for example, when you would, it would always come down to, you know, mostly they could recruit and mostly they were tough guys and mostly they understood, you know, all of the things it takes to be a good coach. But then the ones who separated themselves, I always thought were, does this guy really know basketball? Does he really understand how you beat people, how you get yourself an advantage, how you, you know, and it, it, it comes down to that. Can you coach the game? Do you understand the game well enough? And there are different ways to look at it, but can you really figure out for yourself what it is our team has to do against their team and how we can take advantage of the things we can do and how do you win football games uh all the rest of it all the you know handling the sanctions and and having the individualized game plan and recruiting and all of that or even hiring the right young coaches uh you still have to have a sense of how you win football games who you are and how do you win football games Right now, I don't think, you know, unlike Stanford or unlike Oregon or unlike even UCLA in a year, I'm not sure this USC team has, you know, a personality that you can, you know, see through its head coach. This is the personality of this team, and this is the way it wins football games. And that probably is the the most difficult thing because, you know, you look at a, a team across town like UCLA within a year, and a staff that really didn't all know one another and didn't get off to that great a start has really developed 
a, a personality on both sides of the ball. And, uh, and USC looks like it's still looking for one. Uh, and, uh, you know, did the personality walk out the door last year when, uh, you know, Matt Khalil and, and Red Ellison and Nick Perry on defense, you know, the guys, the tough guys, the, the talented, you know, trio of, of seniors or of, of guys eligible to go to the NFL anyway, uh, when they walked out the door, you know, did they take that, you know, toughness and that personality with them? Uh, I don't know. You could argue they did, but all right, Dan. Well, we'll we appreciate you coming on the show. Um, we'll let you go. Get back to it. I know there's going to be probably more news breaking. <laughs> so there's never a dull moment here around the USC football program. But thanks again for coming on the show. That is the great thing about it. Uh, it. It generates news, good, bad, and and I don't know there's any indifferent, but uh, although it does, I think that's the hardest thing, I think, for USC fans to take right now, and even for us, is uh, it, you don't want to be irrelevant. And like last weekend, USC is pretty irrelevant, you know, in terms of the national scene, and that's not been the case, uh, you know, for a long time where – it almost doesn't matter, you know, what USC is doing or not doing or, or anything. But uh, but there are ways in which, you know, it's hard to disconnect USC from the national scene all that much. And, uh, you know, Notre Dame was at the uh, Sun Bowl just a couple of years ago. So um, they figured out a way to get back and, and, and get relevant. So uh, it's certainly doable, but you have to do it. All right. Well, thanks again, Dan. And Everyone else, thank you very much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you enjoy the show. We'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Music